Welcome to the More Than More podcast, where we discuss building meaningful, impactful businesses, careers, and lives through real estate. <laughs> oh, brother. <clears throat> that was uh, me doing my best efforts to get Gina McAndrews not to talk during the, during the More Than More intro. Good morning, Gina. Good morning, Dylan. Welcome to the podcast studio. Welcome. Good to see you. Uh, thank you. You drove through some pretty dense fog here this morning to get here. Yeah. Kind of a weird day, right? Yeah. Some weird drivers out there, too. Speaking of weird days, <clears throat> this is going to be interesting. Woohoo! Yeah. I've Bring it on, baby. Pumping myself up for a conversation <laughs> with you. I, I just was telling you I haven't had coffee for several weeks now. I've been cutting down my caffeine, and I decided that today I was going to have to break that routine and drink some coffee to talk to you. I see. I put you to sleep that quickly, huh? It's not that at all. <clears throat> it's that I know I've got to keep up. You move at a pretty fast pace. You are, uh, you are one of a kind, lady. Well, everybody is. Uh, some more than others. I'll never <clears throat> forget <clears throat> the picture I have when I think of you was the day that you won the Signature Award. <laughs> you remember that? Yes, I had <clears throat> no idea. Well... No one has any idea normally, but mostly what they do when they win the award is they stand up and they walk to the front of the room in order to receive the award, but not you. You did some weird, like, slinky dance, Grinch. I, I have no idea what you did. I just remember you maneuvering your way through the crowd to the front of the room to go receive that. So that was quite a, quite a you thing. There was a little alcohol in that. <laughs> I really think that our awards banquets are some of the funner things that we do as a company. So Yes, and the Olympics. The Olympics has been pretty killer. 15? 13. I forget how many years. I think it's 15 years running. And all credit to Joe on that. That's been his baby from the beginning, and he makes that pretty goofy. It's good. He does goofy well. Well, it's nice. It builds teams, I think, good. I mean, you get to know people versus just sitting down and drinking coffee. and. I think it brings them down to a... Real. Interesting level. Yeah, real level. People are real. I mean, you get to know who they are. Who I don't the care. Who cheaters are, who the competitors are, who's like, wow, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that is uh, that is definitely one of the best things we do as well. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, looking forward to talking to you. I, I You are my global world traveler, uh, black belt, martial artist, uh, horse enthusiast, real estate investor, extraordinaire, and all-around goofball. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you probably don't need to. <clears throat> no, one of you is good. So, hey, like, there's so much fun stuff to talk about with you, and I really feel like this is going to be a, like a get-to-know-Gina conversation. So I, uh, I know little bits and pieces about all of your stories, but I feel like maybe of all the people in this company, you may have more stories than anybody else. Quite a few. I'm unusual actually, ones. Unusual. We could do story time with Gina where once a week you just tell a new story. Mm -hmm. Tell me a story about um, Tony Robbins. A story about and Tony Robbins? You didn't have to tell me a story about Tony Robbins. Tell me about Tony Robbins. You, I thought that'd be a fun place to start. You are enrolled. Is it called the Platinum Program? Partnership. Platinum, Platinum, Platinum Partnership. Partnership. This is no small deal. So how long have you been doing Tony Robbins stuff? A year. That's all? Well, I had listened, you know, back in the 90s I'd, or 2000s, 
I'd listen to a book on tape driving to Colorado. Or like something. Awaken the Giant Within yes. or Unlimited Power? So, yes. And so I'd heard of them. And then um, I just saw an ad for a class. And I thought, oh, that should be interesting on Facebook. And so I signed up for it, and it was really good. I mean, his classes are, I mean, you're all in. You don't, you don't waste any time. And he his focus is to over, you know, overproduce. So you're... So you start at nine ten in the morning and you go till ten eleven twelve at night. Well, it's like several days of that, right? Yeah, four to seven days of and, that. And and what eight nine ten hours a day? No, twelve fourteen hours a day. Okay, what's the what's the idea behind that? They're trying to break you down. Immersion, immersion. Okay. Right. So you're you know if you do an hour here and then you go home and da da da, da you do an hour here and then you know you're losing your momentum. So this keeps your momentum and your learning and you build that up in your mind and the energy and you're making changes. I mean, he gets to the real heart of a lot of people and makes dramatic changes um, right there. People, You've seen some cool have, stuff happen in that room? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. People are going to commit suicide, literally. Like, And people are going to get divorced. People sitting... You know, you can tell the energy. They're like, this is our last chance. Our divorce papers are ready. And he just starts asking them questions. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. Everything from 500 to 5,000 people. And um, and it, that's what I mean. It's an intimate setting. And you're sharing deep things with people. With your people you're sitting next to. Um, but you're, you know, you're... You're learning about people. You're learning about relationships. Mostly you're learning about yourself. Like people have six human needs. People. That's what he's teaching from the stage. He's he, talking through that, for example. Yes. Okay. And giving examples and then ask people who, who has questions, who has an issue you want to talk about. How many people are in the room? 500 to 10,000. Yeah. I mean, he's had full stadiums, <clears throat> like football stadiums. Yeah. But now since COVID, he, he developed a... I mean, he was not going to cancel. He was, like, trying to find a place where he could still get people. And mm -hmm. so he went to big churches. Oh, no, churches are closed. Went to Vegas. Nobody's going to close Vegas. Oh, yeah, they closed mm -hmm. Vegas. And so he went to the Zoom people and some computer folks and said, hey, we need a 40-foot-tall building, and we need I need to look at at least – Three to four hundred screens. So it's a mega screen with hundreds of faces on it, right? Yes, yeah. on Zoom. So he went to Zoom, and he's got. I've been on a stage, and he's. It's just surrounded in people, and you. It's really awesome because you're. You, when you have it on Zoom, I mean, he's like right there in your face. But the events you've been to in the last like whatever twelve months, these have been in person events. I um, have gone to just the platinum have been in person. Okay, so and those we had are smaller. Are those? Yes, okay. they're you know hundred, couple hundred people. Okay, so just ba let's back up for a second here. I, I don't know how many. I think most people know who Tony Robbins is. I had read part of both of those books years ago as well, fifteen years ago, but I just didn't think much of Tony Robbins until I watched "I'm Not Your Guru" on Netflix. And so, if you haven't watched that, guys, it's um, I thought it was profound. And, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, in that context, those were rooms of like, you know, four or 5,000 people. And until I watched him engage individuals in the crowd and break them down in front of everyone and then build them up, it, it was, it was profound. 
I mean, so you're, you're, this platinum program that you're in, this is no small deal. I, I don't know if you want to talk numbers or anything, it's but it, it was a big investment for you, right? Yeah. Well, $75,000. $75,000. When you first told me that, I think it was at one of our like Christmas party or something. And I thought I heard you wrong. You did. $75,000 for a year. And what does that get you? All the classes. Okay. As many um, as you want, or there's like a certain number that you, like a sequence of them. Well, he has at least one class every month. Okay. And you can go to all of those. All of them. And then you also have, um, we do an adventure trip. Yeah. Which is just the plat plat members. I mean, cause everybody else also takes the classes. So you might, um, but yeah, last year we went to Costa Rica. We did, um, rappelling down waterfalls, jet skis, zip lines over the jungles, whitewater rafting. We got surfing lessons, you know, kind of four days of just, what's the idea behind camp. all that? Cause I remember the whole walking on, you know, hot coals thing. Yeah, we did that. You did that, but that that makes sense to me as like a you know the this build is, up. This is like the Office Olympics. Uh, this, this You're just, just have fun getting with to good meet people. other plats, yeah. Okay, and you build a lot of relationships. I mean, because these are these are leaders of things around yeah. the world. Well, Making that's a big buy-in, right? So anyone private that's in equity there, firms, I yeah. mean, big corporations. Accounting comp, you know. If you're in that room, you've made a pretty serious decision. You either got more money than you know what to do with, or you've made a big decision to go do something in your life. And that's like half of what makes it amazing. I mean, half that, that room is full of some pretty serious people. Oh, yeah, from around the world. Yeah. That are, I mean, and the whole focus is, I mean, they kind of ask you questions to get in. It's not like they just accept everybody. Oh, really? No, it's not like a... So how'd you get in? <laughs> hey. <laughs> it um, is people who want to contribute to the world. Like Maslow's hierarchy, you got to be people that are like have depth and substance. Who have depth and substance and want to give. Because you can, I can call up any of them in there and say, "Hey, I need help with something." Uh. And people's, they're people who will give. That's, I mean, like you're doing <coughs> the um, children's soap chest. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of people. They're not, I mean, a lot of them have millions. So if I had dollars. 75 grand lying around, I could probably make the cut. I mean, there's people in there who had to put it on credit card. Yeah. It's not like everybody's millionaires, and I'm sure not. But there are people who want to contribute, who like camaraderie. Yeah. Who, um, you know, because as people, well, like you've mentioned a few times, as you learn more, grow more, there's fewer people to have that same level of conversation with. It's about peers. It's hard to find peers. And this that's why that group started. Because mm. Tony was Tony got asked to go with Paul Tudor Jones on these trips with, you know, big equity billionaires type of stuff. And he's like, Well, God, I don't belong. And then but he's there. And and anyway, over time, and then he's like, There's a lot of other people. He's always thinking about other people. There's a lot of other people are probably in the same boat. They would like a group of peers to, yeah. you know, to to have conversations with, do business with, do partnerships with, do, um, yeah, there's a bunch working on with um, orphanages. There's people doing wells in Africa. It is fun. You know, there's so many lies in the world, but <clears throat> one of the ones you see a lot is people at the bottom of the food chain believing that if you get to the top of the food chain, it's because you had to cheat or steal or kill someone to get there and that you must be some greedy millionaire, billionaire. The truth is, because, you know, Joe and I got a strategic coach, we've been doing it for 10 years on and off, and 
we sit in rooms similar, groups of people with big investments to be in those rooms and be coached by Dan Sullivan. And But you look around the room, there's a lot of people doing really, really cool things uh, in the world. And uh, so, yeah, it's that's a pretty cool deal that you're doing that. I'm, I am curious, is that a, an ongoing thing now? Like, do you think you'll do it again next year or is it a one, one-time investment? Oh, this is my second year. Okay. So I'll probably, yeah, I think after two years... Take a break. break anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much information just to implement yeah. it. I mean, it's, yeah, business classes, business two, business three. You've got relationships. I mean, just that class. And so, then there's, so there's a whole, um, it's not like you're repeating the same content every year? Or no. To, okay. I um, just got done reading, uh, not done. I'm halfway through his book as well on uh, kind health. of health. Yeah. You, Life force. Life force. Um, yeah, my wife is wrapping that up as well, and that was also pretty much uh, worth the investment. Yes, it's um, yeah. There's a lot in there. Yeah, um, a lot of some of it I'd heard already, yeah. but um, like his shoulder that kind of sent him on a, a venture to find out what's out there. And you know, I met a lot of these people um, that he talked about that had cures have been at. Yeah. In some of the classes. Well, funny enough, the guy that he wrote that book with, I'm in a class with. At Peter Strategic Coast, Peter yeah. Diamandis, yeah. So I was in a, a, a Zoom room with him just a few weeks ago. And it's a whole other level. I mean, these guys, I mean, first of all, they have resources at their disposal. So they're, they have access to some stuff that's cutting edge in terms of like stem cell research. and But what they're doing is um, pretty incredible right now in terms of longevity, like expansion oh, right. of life. Yeah, and, yeah. They've got whole regiments. I mean, and Tony shares all that. Yeah. I mean, we've got all the gizmos, and you hear about the stem cells. And, I so mean, uh, Antigua, Panama, where they're at. If I want to learn more about Tony, um, I'm not your guru. I would recommend that, that Netflix special. Oh, definitely, um, yes. <clears throat> Life Force is about health right now. How else, uh, if somebody wanted to, first of all, you'd be happy to share more about this with anyone that's interested. Oh, sure. Is there a, a more affordable entry level to his yeah, stuff? Yeah, you just take a class. Like okay. a, you know, a four-day, five-day, I offered you a free class uh -oh. last year. Remember? I didn't take it. You said, no, <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> well, you got to, yes, I am. Yeah. But I, I think it is something I'd like to look into at some point. But it's, you got to be ready. Most people, yeah. most people aren't. Most people are like, oh, I'm fine, or that's too long, or blah, blah, yeah. blah. And it's like, hey, um, you know, pick your choices. Be miserable or find a way out of it. Well, uh, you I mean, one of his sayings is like, change your story, change your life. You know, I can sit around and say, well, my knee hurts, I can't go, yep. blah, blah, blah. And say, screw it, I can still walk, let's go. Well, that's very you, right? But it can be, yeah. But uh, it could be... It could be anybody. Uh, yeah, I don't mean that in like a, that's how you were born. I, I've seen you model that over the years. You're pretty intent about uh, mindset and how you view things, and you have a can-do sort of attitude. And you don't just you don't just wake up one day and have that, right? You you build that over time. And yeah, I think I learned that as a kid growing up on a farm. You know, Dad just said, "Hey, here's." A there's a truck, you know, you're six. You're, you're yeah. Brake pedal, gas pedal, just follow me. Figure it out. Yeah, and, that's, and that was awesome because you just figured it out. You just did it. Just I'm fearful that we are losing that quite rapidly in uh, current generations. So uh, <clears throat> you have to forgive me if I, if I nudge you a little bit because just uh, to keep our conversation on track because there's so much that we could cover here. But 
take us, uh, let's, let's cover a little bit of your roots um, without going into too much depth because uh, you're, a, you're a Dubuque, Dubuque girl, right? Dubuque County. Dubuque County, not the city Grew of Dubuque. Grew up on the farm, yeah, which is, I mean, it's in Dubuque. So you were born there? Yes. Okay, so you, yep. you grew up in eastern Iowa. Yes. And uh, I've been to Dubuque like twice, but uh, yeah, it, it's a place. It is. One day we'll have an office there. Good. So how long were you there? And then and then talk me through a little bit of that, because I, I know you've got roots in Colorado. I, well, I grew up, so I grew up on a farm in, Colorado, uh-huh. in um, eastern Iowa. I was the oldest, and I loved being outside, and Dad loved to take me along, so I was... I had a horse when I was two. I was driving at six, snowmobiles, tractors, straight trucks. I was hauling corn into town mm-hmm. when I was 13. Um, yeah, so I just learned how to do lots of things. Did rodeo, mm-hmm. um, showed cattle fairs, did sewing, you know, the whole thing with 4-H. Your, the farm was was livestock and, and horses? or it was Horses, cattle, pigs, okay. corn, hay. So I learned how to do it all, change the oil, change the tire. Do you have siblings? Um, one brother, younger. Okay. So he did too. I okay. mean, but he was younger. So, um, you know, I got the first, <coughs> I got to get broke in first. Yeah. They always, first kids get the harder deal for sure. But no, they, it was awesome. No, I wouldn't trade a second of it. No, I've fallen off a horse when I was two and that just put me back on. And let's go. And that was kind of, and so originally I was going to go to veterinary school and I got to, um, I had a boyfriend and all that, and who wanted to get married. But anyway, that <laughs> kind of, I got to college, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to do. There, I, no way I'm getting married and having kids sitting down with a white picket fence. I got to go do all these things. And so um, I didn't quite make it to veterinary school because okay. I was having too much fun doing skydiving and martial arts, and I was on the rodeo team, livestock judging team, blah, 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 traveling. You know, every weekend we were showing cattle or riding horses or just going skydiving or taekwondo tournaments. And I was having so much fun. Anyway, a guy I was dating um, worked in Colorado at a guest ranch, teaching people how to ride. And I was like, shoot, I want to do that. So anyway, called out and I got a real small ranch down in southwest Colorado. And uh, he's like, I don't know, I never hired a girl before, but come on out. Where about southwest? In Uray, Ridgeway, yeah. tell you right. Wow, yeah, that's one of my favorite places in the world. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so I worked out there from May till December. Did uh, it was a small ranch. We only had like ten people, and then we had like twenty horses. So training horses, teaching people how to ride, and we went on like trail rides, like up mountains. It was crazy. You're like, how old now? Uh twenty. You're twenty. Yeah. And you've you've took my horse out there, hauled my horse out, did rodeo out there. Okay. Excuse me. And uh, anyway, yeah, we had cattle. Um, in the fall, we did photography workshops. Um, we did a lot of ads, like Marlboro ads. We had the Marlboro Cowboys come in, and we do some commercials. We did Labatt's beer commercials. And then I was a hunting guide, so we did bow, <laughs> bow season and elk and deer season. So basically you take these rich people and put them on a point, and then we have to walk through the snow to bring the deer to them so they can... Shoot off their five thousand dollar rifle, kill something. Yeah, that's and then weird. we have, to, and then we have to, you know, gut it and haul it up to them, and so they can p- take their little picture. And, but anyway, that's how South Africans feel about big game hunters that come over to South Africa and pay tens of thousands of dollars to kill some uh, 
lion or something on the border. It's just uh, kind of a weird view of it. It's <coughs> one of human needs. I want to feel significant. Well, but let's let's not be too too. There's some there's some people yeah. in our audience no, who I think good. would love it's to do good. that. But there needs to be hunting. Yeah. Um, otherwise, the populations don't. I mean, they starve to death. So you do this ranch thing though so out in. Uh, I'm not going to let you go down into the hunting path anymore. <laughs> sorry, but um, no, but yeah, so we did pack trips. Um, I took people on pack trips. Like we just took tents and went from your raid to tell your ride through the mountains. That's um, just the coolest experience. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, you know, fishing, cooking over. I mean, fire. when I grow up one day, that's what I want to be, right? Yeah, yeah. You won't grow up. Well, when I grow up, I'm going to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's when I'm grown up. So somewhere that transitions, because, I mean, you've got a very colorful background. You, I'm just trying to get this all right. You were a faculty member at Iowa State. Let's talk about that just briefly. Do you have a PhD? Yep. In ecology Eco and philosophy? Ecology and evolutionary biology. Ecology and evolutionary biology. You also were a legislative assistant at the United States Senate? Yes. What haven't you done? So, okay, uh, cover a few of those real quick. So, well, okay, graduated as an undergrad. I didn't want to work. I interviewed and I didn't like any of these jobs working for corporations. I saw a sign, hey, you know, work for the U.S. Senate. So I sent out an application. They said, sure, come on out. And um, this is off to the ranch thing. Yeah. This okay. is, so I did the ranch when I was in college okay. as an undergrad for like May through December. And then okay. I go in the spring. Anyway, I finally graduated and um, grew up. Uh, well, I don't know, but anyways, <laughs> I, um, also did a, an exchange program in England for yeah. six weeks. So that kind of got the bug in my ear because when I was working at the ranch, he went and did a, a commercial in Australia and I was like, dang, I want to go to Australia. Well, anyway, I signed up for this exchange program. Australia was taken, you know, so I got to England, which was awesome. Anyway, learned about these around the world trips. So anyway, I went back, worked for the Senate for two years. Where? Uh, in D.C. Oh, wow. Washington, D.C. Okay. So I graduated, started with an internship. That's how I, um, but a month in, they needed a, a person to answer the phones. And so I'd, I was hired on. And then I grew from there to legislative aid. Um, did a lot of work with environmental issues, foreign affairs, agriculture, um, and got to, you know, drive the senator around. At this point, you're an under, you're, you're, you've graduated with an undergraduate degree, right? Yes. You go back to school after that for the rest of it or? Later. Okay, yes. Much so later. I quit there, bought an around the world ticket, a backpack, had 420 some dollars and left on my around the world trip. And so with that, I went to Guatemala, Tahiti, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia. Anyway, spent two years. So traveling. So hold on. You, you went down South America and then across Central to Central America okay. and then to um, Tahiti, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, across Australia, up through Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, okay. Burma. And then I was out of money again. I flew to England. How long was this trip? Two years. Two years with a backpack. By yourself? By myself. No uh, cell phones. Well, this was what year? Um... Seekers, 89, uh, 90. And? 89 I mean, and 90, yeah. <clears throat> what's your, give me the 30-second elevator speech. So, like, best place you went? There isn't the best. Everybody's, I mean, so the, the basic thing is there's beautiful mountains in every country. Mm. I mean, there's beautiful landscapes, right? And that people are all the same. It doesn't matter where we are, who we are. Um, you know, I met really unhappy rich people, 
And I met beautiful, content, giving uh, poor people who gave me their house and would give me their clothes when they only had two sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I learned a lot about people. And it's basically a frame of mind that if you have little or you have a lot, um, if you grow to have a lot, you're just magnifying who you are, basically. Money, money just uh, gives magnifies you- who you are. <clears throat> yeah. If you're if you're unhappy poor person, you're going to be an unhappy rich person. So no matter where you go, there you are. Basically. Basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're unhappy in Australia, you're going to be an unhappy in Iowa. Yeah. And it's all a frame of mind. Uh, I think. I mean, I'm almost. I had guns, M16s pointed at me in uh, Guatemala. I met with student soldiers who were fighting for a chance to vote in Burma, whose parents were um, forced to watch their son uh, burn up in the street right in front mm. of them because they wouldn't. Um, he wouldn't join the army. You mean like self-immolation? No. So. Um, back in 89 in, in Burma, they were the students at a protest were trying to have a uh, vote democracy. Mm-hmm. And so a bunch of the students fled to the, the Burma jungle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're living up there. Well, the army came and found out who some of these students were. So their parents got tortured. They'd take them into jail. I mean, they'd pull their fingernails out, cut their tongues off, cut their ears off, all sorts of horrific Um and this other guy, his uh, his brother still wouldn't. They wanted him to join the, the army with them and fight. He wouldn't. So they put his parents out in chairs in front of their house. And they took the son, put tires around him, mm-hmm. and lit him on fire. And he burned up slowly and painfully. I mean, that sort of thing um, people are, are in other countries are doing for a chance to vote. And then I came back to the U.S., and it was like, oh, I'm going to go out for coffee instead of going to vote. It doesn't matter anyway. So those are the two extremes of uh, voting. People here need to travel. <clears throat> and I think, I think that's why I've, I've taken my boys. Even at seven, we were taking them to Uganda. And, I, yeah, I just think people need to see how the rest of the world lives. I'm, I'm fortunate to have grown up in a, well, frankly, what you described there is called necklacing in South Africa. And it was a very common practice to tie people to a pole and put a tire around their head or their neck and light it on fire. And um, yeah, when you see stuff like that and you understand that that's very real and it's not just like a one-off thing in the world, you, you gain a different appreciation for what America is and really could be if people understood but uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite unfortunate that not everyone gets to see the rest of the world, so they really don't have perspective, do they? They could see the rest of the world. Yeah, but yeah. they haven't. Right. <clears throat> so you have a lot of perspective. Yes. And that Definitely. was early on. I mean, you you did that pretty early. You're in your twenties. Yeah, twenty five. I turned twenty five in Australia. We had a cattle and sheep property. This now is after your two years. No, this is no, this is my two years. Part oh, of my two years because so I had to pick up jobs. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah, it's worked awesome. at a bookbinding factory, Chinese restaurant, milking cows. Like I said, you've got a very, very colorful background. So. Worked in the outback. The mail came every Wednesday. It was like three hours drive, 70 miles an hour on dirt roads. There's nothing out there. To get to a small town, which is like 
10 houses and a, a bar, a restaurant, hotel, and a... Aren't the people a little quirky, too? No, there's a few. There's a lot of fun. They have fun. <laughs> they have fun. So, like, they have uh, weekends where people come. Like, your neighbors are an hour or more away, and they would come and just spend the weekend because you... They just drink and barbecue and play tennis, play volleyball, and just kind of hang, socialize, because there's nobody for for miles and miles. Okay, so I need to fast forward. Okay. Uh, well, because... Okay, so then I got back from my trip, worked back to D.C., <laughs> and I couldn't... It was too much change, you yeah, know? Talking that's... with Burma people, and then I'm back in D.C., where people are putting on their airs, and, oh, I had lunch with so-and-so. And just I'm didn't like, work in your head, your heart? Wow, no, it was, yeah. like, so fake, and I just... So then I went... I backpacked down to the southeast, went back to Colorado, mm. worked out there a while, came back to Ames with the idea of um, getting back into martial arts. Um, uh, well, let's get there later. I was going to ask you which discipline, but we'll talk about it later. Well, that's why I came back to Ames. For martial arts? For martial arts, and because I wanted to go next to Japan and teach English and practice Aikido. Of course you did. But then, anyway, I met this incredible professor who huh. thought I was real interesting because I'd been out of the country, and he was... Uh, Zapotec Indian who brought himself up from the mm. bootstraps and was a professor of corn in Iowa. Anyway, met him and he thought I should go to graduate school okay. and that was kind of the venture where that went. In the evolutionary biology space? Well, the deal was I didn't want to study some narrow specific, I mean, because in, like in graduate school you're looking at the length of a corn tassel and how it changes over time or some very narrow specific thing and my mind just didn't work that way. And so I got degrees in interdisciplinary. Okay. So my master's, I studied medicinal plants, um, living with his great uncle, who is the medicine man down in Oaxaca. So I lived with them for six months. Now, when you say medicinal plants, I put quotations around that. No, and these I, are the real. The these are like um, what they used for the last thousand years to heal people in this village because... I went to a village that had no electricity, no running yeah. water, no. There was no streets. It was all walking trails. Um, it's nine hours from Oaxaca City. It's way up in the mountains. Um, I mean, you're there. You're there. There is no. They made all their own yeah. clothes. They made all their 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 pottery. They grew all their own food. Blah blah blah. So anyway, he's in his eighties, um, and his only kid had moved to. Los Angeles and was not able to come back. And so he didn't want this knowledge to be lost. And that was like my, Ricardo was my major professor. He's like, well, what are you interested in? I said, indigenous skills and blah, blah, blah. And world food issues. Hmm. He said, perfect. I'll introduce you to my great uncle who's a medicine man down in Oaxaca. So I went and he literally just dropped me off. We drove up in this old car that the floor was coming out and had to walk a couple miles to get there. And then they had to leave right away to get back. And so, um, yeah, they dropped me off in the thatched roof and the dirt floor. And the, and they spoke Zapotec mostly and knew Spanish as a second language. And, of course, I knew a little bit of Spanish and no Zapotec. But anyway, I spent six months sp six months with them and um, really got... Well, I learned recorded all the plants, but also... 
learned all their skills of how they make baskets, how they thatch roofs, how they make bricks. This is as a function of your studies now. You're doing this to... No, I just was interested. All I had to do was record the plants. Okay. But, I mean, it was part of your... Yeah, I was there for six yeah. months. Okay. I mean, I could have been there for two months and probably done it all if I just wanted to do that. But but you got hooked on that uh, I wanted to experience it. medicine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, yeah. So that was my... Master's degree, and then he had another project um, where he wanted me to stay and do that and get my PhD. So I was like, "Well, I can't, I'm not doing a narrow." So I had a project down in Mexico, in Chihuahua. Anyway, I went down and spent six months there, or a couple months there. Um, anyway, make a long story short, that wasn't gonna work out. And so I came back, um, and I said, okay, I'm going to go to Colorado over uh, Christmas break. You know, we had a week off. So I went out, got a project with the Habitat Partnership Program, which is working with um, cattle ranchers, big game hunters, environmentalists, Division of Wildlife, um, the BLM, and the Forest Service. They were developing committees to work on solving problems across. Anyway, I met with them, and they wanted somebody to evaluate ecology and the social aspects of these groups on the results and so anyway found that uh i was out there a week and uh and also some friends a guy i was dating goes why don't you just buy a house out here because you've like you're out here all the time I was like i don't know anything about buying a house so he said oh <coughs> contact this lady so anyway i got this incredible german lady who showed me like 10 houses in an hour and a half and so we drove around and I said, okay, that's great. Anyway, I was leaving town, and I'm kind of a negotiator. I was leaving town, and I saw her car was still at the office. So I pulled in. I was like, hey, I want to just, you know, throw an offer. It was like 10000 low on a $50,000 house, you know. And um, and she's like, well, we have to fill out the papers. And, you know, I, I just thought you could do it like buying a horse, you know. And uh, anyway, so she went through all the paperwork, wrote the offer, and I get to my friends in uh, Denver that night, and they, I walked in, and she said, hey, some lady called and said you'd bought a house. She said, congratulations. So I bought a house. I went out there for a week, bought a house, got a PhD project. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. Anyway, bought This is out. your foray into real estate, huh? Yeah, so I was in graduate school. What I love about it is we, we have to fill out the papers was the, uh, the catchphrase from that, and to this day... You, you're still, you're still working on filling out the papers. <laughs> still working on filling out the papers. Yeah. So I lived out there all summer and, uh, the guy was dating, helped me fix it up. And then I rented it out. I needed to go out the next summer. So bought another house. So do you still own that first one? Yeah. Okay. No, the two of them. And then I bought yeah. another house a couple blocks from the first one. And so I thought, well, yeah, I might as well keep them cause I'll move back out here when mm. I'm done. I figured. Well, anyway, I still have them. Okay, so you bought and you bought two. This is back in because oh, I want to get to your investment portfolio. Ninety seven. Ninety seven. You buy your first like two houses. Re okay, rental. Well, they turned yeah. into rentals, yeah. but it was guys living there. And fast forward back to Ames, I wanted to. There was a house empty down the road, and I asked mm -hmm. the guy if I could rent it. He's like, "Yeah, but it's five. It's five fifty a month." And I was like, "For bloody hell! It's only six hundred square feet, and this is in." whatever, 2000 or something. And I said, well, can I buy it? He's like, sure. So anyway, I bought it, got a loan, bought it for $50,000. And 
And my whole interest insurance, everything was only two hundred and forty some dollars a month. So Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna double fast forward. Okay. Do you remember when like you could do like you could push fast forward and you could push it I'll twice and it was wherever you double, triple, go. four times. Yep. No, just because I think there's so much to talk about on the real estate side as well. So you're now, you've started investing in real estate, some in Colorado, some in Iowa. You're a faculty member at Iowa State. You've got this unbelievably, Was. you were oh, at that yeah. point. Okay. You've got this colorful background of traveling the world. So you've gained perspective that I think most people, frankly, never get to. And somewhere along the line there, you're also practicing martial arts at that time. And I want to ask about that in a minute. But somewhere in there, you show up on our doorstep uh, we're JDR Group at the time. We're about to merge with Century 21, my little team and, and Joe's. And we start talking. And so what on earth, what on earth with all of that made you think real estate was a logical next step? So I finished my PhD. And I was still teaching. I was doing postdoc. Um, and then I got an interview in Colorado. I was going to leave to go out there. My department head said, hey, I want you to stay. What can I do? And so he gave me this great job on contract three-year contracts, teaching. I didn't have to go. I had my summers off. So you got a bunch of flexibility off. and pay. Complete <clears throat> flexibility, and I love Ames. I had lots of friends. Um, so I did that. So anyway, 2007, eight, a lot of budget cuts, faculty leaving, no replacements. Anyway, he told me, I'm going to keep you as long as I can, but I don't know, just so you know, mm. the cuts could come. And I was like, huh well, maybe I'll get my real estate license. Because originally I had thought, oh, it's maybe sometime when I retire or whatever. Mm. It's like a backup. Um, anyway, so I got my license, and then I um, went to two offices in Ames, and it was uh, not too impressive. Anyway, then I met you at the stomping grounds, and I was like, huh, this guy kind of has things rolling. He's got some personality, some character. He's been out of the country. Um and so that's what I was like, all right, hands down, let's go. Hmm. And I think that was in like in November, December 2008. Because we merged in February of 2009. That's right. So you I, go get licensed and you basically. But I still was teaching. I ended up teaching yeah. another three years. So the first. Well, I remember this because it was hard to track you down. I mean, you for a while were not an outlier, but you weren't that plugged in. You were showing up and you were learning the ropes, but you were also very, very busy with the uh, teaching thing. Yes. And then I was gone all summer. So yeah. I think I did one the first year, maybe two the second year, you know, of friends who just said, hey, I went to this open house. Yeah. I want to buy this house. Okay. All right. The offer. That was well, it. Well, normally people like you, we, we kind of uh, guide to the door to some extent because we're about full-time agents, but we. But not back then so much. It's always been a passion. I mean, it's always, yeah. but it's hard. And you find good people that fit in culturally and are the right kind of people. But um, transitioning out of working full-time or part-time into real estate is just an, it's a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah. Fortunately, though. So I got the cut and that was it. Yeah. So then I was doing. Uh, so that was two, 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 like two, two or three years in. And they basically said, sorry, we're done yeah, with Yeah, we're you. not renewing your, Got yeah, it. it was a three-year contract, so. And that's when you put your foot down on real estate. Yeah. So but by that, that point, you already had some traction. I mean, you had several, you had two, three years of sales under your belt. Yeah. You built up your database Maybe, a little bit. Yeah, like 10 out of, you know, three years. But yeah. yeah pretty slow. But yeah. Well, and then, and then you kind of, I don't remember the trajectory, but it wasn't a meteoric rise to fame. But pretty quickly, you started generating a lot of referral business. 
And I mean, your business has hovered in that. I mean, you've been north of several million all the way. Through. I think you did 11 and a half, almost $12 million last year. Was that your better year? Is that your best year? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, probably close. I don't really keep good track of all that. Well, you're selling a lot but of real estate. Yeah, <coughs> so it pays the bills. So any lessons learned on transitioning from that kind of part-time phase where you were in both worlds um, into full-time? I mean, what's your, what's your perspective on that looking back? Um, I mean, you spend your time, you get results. I mean, mm. that's about it, really. I mean, build relationships and, uh, you know, the time you put in is, I mean, if you put productive time in, you get production back. And I you, mean, you didn't for the first two years. Well, no, I didn't put any time in. Yeah. No, I literally, my first one was a friend of mine went to an open house. She said, Gina, I want to come by this. I want to go buy this house. Okay. So I wrote the offer, did the inspection, closed. That was it. So, <laughs> was like, so as a broker and a business owner, help me think through then, because you know, our stance, we're about, we're not about full-time real estate professionals. What we're about is buyers and sellers. We're about a remarkable client experience. And we believe the bar needs to be higher. And we believe that the only way you can truly provide real value to a buyer or seller is if you are full-time. And again, full-time is the wrong word. If you are an expert advisor, right? If you're brilliant at what you do. So we've got this delicate balance, right? Where we're always, whenever we're meeting with new agents, for us, it's a mandate that they have intentions to be full-time. And if they have part-time employment, we really are pretty picky about how much time they plug in. And so you're a great success story of someone that started part-time. And uh, I was constantly trying to rope you in, right? And well, we gave you some leeway. But I mean, backstage, we're sitting here going, how do we get Gina to show up and plug in and get trained more? Because we know that you're not remarkable as a hobbyist in real estate. But there was always discussion about you were going to be full-time. And I think that's why we kept going with you, right? But you are a great success story. You have an amazing real estate business today. You navigated that part-time period. I guess I'm just curious, from your vantage point, looking back, um, how, how, how do we do a good job as a brokerage keeping that bar high with someone that's in that part-time space? Does that make sense? Yes, I think checking in with people. They want to know that you care. Mm. You know, if you just send them an email and say, hey, I'd you know, like to see you at the office. Mm. Like, what the hell that sounds like parenting, right? Well, it just, I mean, in today's world, we don't have very much personal care. I mean, mm. people need personal touch. And if you want to provide, it's the same with my clients. Yeah. So if I'm, what you're doing to us is the same as we should do to our clients. You know, we can send them an email. It's like, yeah, do you like this house? You know, it's a good one. Or, hey, I spent a little extra time, looked up this house. You know, I really think you might like it. Just emailed it to you. You know, that little the like you say the chocolate on the on the pillow yeah right so the um i think a lot of it is i mean like you're doing the education is you know we want you engaged we want you to know what the statistics are well then you know maybe i don't know how you i mean how you did not have to think about these questions well but, but so answer it this way what do you think about part-time agents well i think it's hard for anybody to just you know, quit cold and be full-time agents. It's, it is hard, but many people do it. Only, only if they have a spouse yeah. that's already. Or savings. Or savings. And even yeah. then, I mean, it's pretty tough. Mm -hmm. And so, 
And I had another part-time job. I don't, you probably, you didn't even know. I worked at at-home care. Um, just because I liked working with older people. Our policy manual mandates that you disclose other employees. Ah, okay. So I Whatever. presume that I did know. <laughs> I don't know. I worked with older people. But um, I think the big thing is that they show up and are engaged with others and constantly learning. And, it's really good. And saying, you know, how many, how many new additions do you have to your database? Or how, yeah. you know, checking in on what's your progress? What's your... What's your goals? You know, just doing a thing like how many more people in your database are you going to add this week? How many <coughs> coffees are you going to have? And and then going from there. I think you're touching on something that we're we're in the middle of talking about a lot right now. I drew, you can't see it, but I drew three circles here. We've been talking about what our algorithm is for figuring out whether or not someone is a good match for our organization because not everyone gets to work here. And we've got people that are doing lots of production or low production. We've got people that are very connected and plugged in. And we've got people that aren't so connected and plugged in. And then we've got people that are great cultural matches. They think like we think. They view the client the way we view the client. We've got people who kind of don't. And the way we think about this is no one of those things is the sole decider. It's about the balance of all of those. So we might have someone that's like doing a ton of production, but they're absolutely not a good cultural match for us and they're not plugging in and showing up to be connected. And we, yeah, out the door. That's just not who we are. And then you've got people with low production, but they're totally a cultural match for us and they're showing up. They're showing up and they're learning and they're growing and they're trying and they have a plan. Like you mentioned, are they growing their database? Are they, so like, is there progress? And so, yeah, it's not about production or culture or connection. It's about production, connection, and culture. And we've got people in all different walks of life there. But what we're trying to figure out is that you certainly have to be moving forward in all of those. And you have to have uh, traction in at least two of those, right? Right. To, to, to be part of this team. So I look back on you and I think you were doing a decent job of being connected. Because I remember meeting with you on like activity plans and, um, and you were a great cultural match. Um, you just weren't doing a lot of production at the beginning. So I, I wanted to share that just because it's something our team backstage is working on right now is figuring out because there's people, um, there's people all in different uh, phases of this business inside of our walls. I think it's important to look at what people's needs are. Some people want their more significance driven, right? They want to have the fancy car. They want to mm. be first or second in the office or the state or whatever. There's other people who focus more on certainty. I want to be certain that I can afford my new car or that I, you know, those perspectives. And then you have um, people who love in connection and uncertainty. Um, they might, money's not that important, maybe, but they have a need for giving back to the community. Like we've got a few people who are, they're making money so that they can, do a community garden or do these other things. They yeah, got into the business for different reasons, right? And they have different right. drivers. And I and think if you connect people with, what's your, what's your big picture? What's yeah. your reason? What's your driving force? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Well, I want my kids to go to this school, so that's why I'm here. I want to do this. And so how is that working? And if you have five more houses, you're going to be able to 
sponsor 10 more kids in Africa. No, I, I agree as a, as a motivator, right? As a, a mechanism to get in people's heads and help them f- connect their big why to, yeah. to selling real estate. I think all that's totally true. But to w- their life as well. Correct. I, I would also say that, that is, that's 100% true. What's also 100% true is that we have to do that in a context where we ensure that as a collective, we are actually placing buyer and sellers first. So we are first and foremost for our agents. We're a, we're a real estate agent coaching and recruiting and growing and developing company. It's what we do. We don't advertise to buyers and sellers. But if we don't um, hold the line on ensuring that the agents inside of our company are passionately committed to the buyer and the seller, I think we lose in the long run. I think we lose exactly. as, as collective and individuals. That's why I think like the class we had this morning of the Zoom is how can we make it an exceptional experience for your buyers? Yep. What are people doing? And then I think we need to talk about that more. Not talk about. We talk about a lot. We do, but what are we doing? How? And practically. Then, and then ask people individually, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we, we do that. And I think I'm just, I'm tying this all back to my question about part-time because at the end of the day, we, we work really, really hard to ensure that agents um, are showing up and that they're connected and that they're producing. Because if you're not selling houses, there's no way you can be a expert advisor to your clients. At the same time, there's this journey into real estate, that first year or two, that's really challenging and it takes time. And you're a great example of someone that really wasn't selling a lot, but we knew that you had it in you, and we just had to figure out the algorithm to to get you to the place where you had traction and plugged in. And so I'm, I'm glad we did, because you're selling a lot of real estate. You're always fun to have around, and you were one of our signature award winners. So hmm. look at you. But I, think, but I think just encouraging, because people that are working part-time, that's where they're getting people also to build their database. Yes. I mean, and, and so a tying for that, that together, yeah. I think tying that together with. So tell me what uh, what you think has been working for you. So you've you're running a, a good business. You're all over the place. You're a pretty busy human being. You what would you say in in your faculty years? You said I, I'm not going to be able to be focused on just one little narrow thing because the way your brain fires is you you like a hundred things at the same time, right? Yes. And so that's an interesting thing. It it's kind of fits real estate because you can juggle a hundred things simultaneously. It also can be a deficit because if you juggle too many things, you can drop balls, right? And there's a lot of balls up in the air in real estate. So you've done a good job. You're selling a lot of real estate. I think you've done well relationally. I think you've done well with working by referral, at least from your numbers. That's what I see. Uh, what would you say you've done right in your business to get to where you are? Asking the questions. Which ones? You know, anybody wants to sell a house? You know, okay. anybody wants to buy a house? You've never been afraid of that. No. All they can do is say no. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, to get what you want, you have to ask a question. Okay. Um, but you also need to be able to back it up, that you know something, you can find a house, you can. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So you have a you have a, a healthy database. Um, you are proactive with Coles, Nuts, Popeyes. Casual. Casual. At this point, you've you've got a lot of relationships. Yeah. You've asked the question. I get mostly referrals. I work a lot by referrals, and I'm kind of up and down with the, uh, the Popeyes. I tend to go to like little old ladies that you know. I take them flowers and 
You yeah. know, they're the ones that are in the nursing homes or whatever that aren't going to sell a house again. But, um, you're a true networker, yeah. though. I mean, you, I'm a networker. You're a network. You know a lot of people. You're not afraid of meeting new people. You love yeah. to ask questions generally of people. Like you're a yeah. student. I think you're always trying to be a sponge. And I mean, even when we talk, you're always asking questions, right? I think you just love to learn and. And then in that, you're creating all these relationships. I don't think you're being super systematic about Coles, Notes, and Popeyes, but you know a lot of people, kissing a lot of babies, shaking a lot of hands, and you're not afraid to ask the question. Hey, uh, if you come across someone thinking of buying or selling. Is that yeah. your formula? I mean... I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, every person I meet, I've well, not every person I don't take the time with, but when I do meet someone, I figure there's always something I can learn from them. So I like to ask questions. Um, and then I, you know, whatever. If they say, what do you do in real estate? Yeah, if you know anybody. Um, but I think that's, um, and then the other part is don't take it personal. Is people don't call you back. People, you know, disappear. They, you know, I've had friends sell their house to, you know, somebody. And they're like, well, we just didn't want to mess up our friendship and blah, yeah. blah. And you're just like, okay, cool. No worries. That uh, just don't take it personal. That comes naturally for you, or you have to work at that. Uh, no, you have to always work at so it. So you do. It does still sting, right? Oh sure. Okay. Yeah, it's not like, but you need to be. Hey, it's already done. Friendships were more important, or the person's goals, and you know the next time. Um, well, I asked the question yeah. that way because the way you carry yourself, Gina, it could look to someone like me that it doesn't sting you as much as it does me. Because, you know, those sorts of personal things where your friend works with somebody else or someone you feel like they betrayed you, uh, I carry those. A lot of people here carry those, and you really feel it. You kind of, it looks like it comes off your back pretty quick, right? Water off a duck's back. But the truth is it does sting. You're just being intentional about ensuring that you don't take it personally. Is that a fair? Yeah. I mean, you just decide. Yeah. Are you going to, you know, carry around a chip on your shoulder for the next 50 years or just say, okay. Well, that's the way it was, and that's the way it is. And Sounds like something you'd read in a Tony Robbins book. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, you got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I asked you what you've done to be successful, and you said, uh, I asked questions. I asked the question. Uh, would you add to that at all? Talk you, to people. I mean, do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, if you know... Like if somebody knows they want to be in a certain area, I go door to door and find them a house one way or another. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But usually I get get it to work sooner or later. Um, You've done a decent amount of deal doctoring, right? Like just, uh, what do we call that? Matchmaking. You've put a lot of yes. just random people together yes. and made sales happen. Yes. Okay, so um, I want to touch on a couple more topics here, and knowing you, you can go pretty deep into them. So um, let's start with well, let, let's let's start with this investment portfolio. So, in you said '97 is when you bought that first rental. Mm -hmm. It was a, a property for you at the time, but it became a rental. Uh, you've been building that pretty consistently over the last jeepers twenty something years now, right? Well, I mean, I had three, like okay. in '97, '98. And then I didn't buy anything till until you got into real estate. Yes. And then once you got in back in, uh, what was that? Oh, nine. Oh, eight. Since then, though, I think you've been somewhat from my vantage point. I know because I get those requests to start, sign the personal purchase addendums. Um, you've been pretty consistent about adding to that, correct? Yes. Do you, you care to share where you're at with that? What that looks like right now? Uh, 16. 
You on sixteen? I think. Uh, single family. Um, yeah, third fourteen single family, and a fourplex. Whatever okay. you count that as. And some of them are in Colorado, and some of them are here. Three in Colorado, and I have a ranch in Colorado, and then um, yeah, all in Ames, downtown Ames, except one. All rentals, presumably, mm-hmm. and. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious if you would jump into, I, I've got RPM, a couple of the guys from RPM coming in on Monday, and we're going to be digging into the topic of what makes a good real estate investment, number one, but number two, how to build your portfolio in time. And so I'm thinking of things like how much you want to leverage each of the properties. Do you want to be paying down those mortgages very aggressively, or do you want to be loaning against those properties and keep them levered at like 70%? It's kind of technical stuff, right? But I'm curious, like what's your game plan? So you've got these 16 properties. Are you trying to pay them down so that you can have passive income, or are you uh, keeping them levered so that you can buy more? You care to share any of that? Um, well, m- most all of them have very good interest rates. So to me... It's better to use that money rather than exactly. pay it off early. But at the same time, if it's, I pay off a little early. Um, like if it's 208 is the mortgage payment, I'll pay 300 or 250. You're, I just round it up. Yeah. Like 50, just so you're chipping away bucks. at that interest payment. Chipping away, but I'm not doing a whole lot. Okay. And I have not used um, them as equity to buy something else. Okay. Well, so I, you I refinanced should, though, presumably. I, I refinanced, yes, and it, I did actually to buy my acreage. I live in Ames. You now. did a cash out refinance. I did it, yeah. Okay. Um, so I did on that one. Um, but otherwise, I just pretty much leave them because I've heard of people. I mean, once you start doing it, it's easy to do, but you can um, get your, get myself in trouble. Well, in teaching my kids about this, I've. I've tried to help them understand like the extent to which you want to be levered. And if you have low interest rates, then using that money for something else is great. But I don't know, rule of thumb, 70% or something like that. So that if there ever was a heavy decline in real estate values, you've always got that equity sitting there. Because I think that's the danger, right? Is you over leverage, you pull all the cash out, and then you find yourself in a mess when someone's not paying rents or something like right, that. Right, because you can get two or three not pay rents, and then your your whole thing is yeah. could collapse pretty quickly. So are you managing even, all of these? Yes, that's a but lot. But I mean, but I mean, even not the ones in Colorado. Yeah, I finally yeah. got a reloc- uh, whatever <laughs> company. management company. Yeah, but um, but I think it's yeah because I I have two three paid off. Just for that reason, because I don't have a, like, it's me. Like, I don't yeah. have a spouse. I don't have, but, um, but at the same time, I can go live in the woods and, you know, cook over fire. Yeah, but, you're, um, you're a good person to know if the, if the zombies come, huh? But, um, but yeah, so I just didn't, I, I just have heard from other people and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Get, yeah. um, so I have two or three paid off so that if one or two doesn't pay rent or yeah. whatever, we have a virus come out. Um, then I still have them. They're all paying for themselves type of thing. So, I, I mean, that's, that's a lot of personal information. I appreciate you sharing. I, I think we need to talk about this more. I think our agents need to understand more and more and more, at least how I view this. I think real estate sales is where we create our revenue and our, our cash 
But oh, real, right, real estate future, investment yeah. is where we take that cash, table it, and put it into investments that produce passive returns in time. And I think right now is, like we had a Tony Robbins class, finance. We met with Paul Tudor Jones, Ray uh-huh. Dalio, I mean, Peter Diamandis, all these big dogs. Yeah. Um, and their, their big things are crypto and real estate. As far as the next five years, yeah. with the craziness of, you know, the debt, the wars, all of the, um, I mean, it's the interest rate's going to have to go up to a certain point. Um, yeah. And then it's going to come back down. Well, and I'm no expert, but <clears throat> I would view crypto as speculative, high return opportunity and real estate as guaranteed. This is where you for sure can yeah. bury some bury some whatever. And that's your retirement yeah. fund one day. And so, I, you know, realtors are interesting human beings because they don't have a typical world. They don't have 401ks. They don't have... And so I think the more we can dig into this real estate investment space, do you have advice though? So you started pretty early on. You weren't even in real estate sales. You just picked up a few. I mean, I think, yeah, I didn't really have a plan. It was like, oh, that looks like a good deal. And I yeah. just buy it. So what about today though? So, like you started selling in 08. You didn't start really buying these consistently until a few years in once you started having revenue. But do you have a plan now? Same thing. I see one I like. Yes. I go get it. Yeah. Have you bought any recently in this crazy environment? Uh, two. Well, one I'm still working on, but yes. Okay. Um, <coughs> yeah, one just because mostly because of its location is near where because all my other rentals are downtown. Okay. And this particular one I knew, and it had you know a new roof, new side, all the all the the big stuff is brand new, and it's right near where my acreage is, mm. and so. Looking down the line in case, well, one, my parents, or two, I could have somebody living there and help me on the farm. Because um, I have a geothermal greenhouse coming. Of course you do. That would be another story. <laughs> 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 and, um, yeah. Uh, no, it's super It's super cool. I, I, I've applauded you from the sidelines. I think you know this as you've been picking these up along the way and... Uh, I wouldn't call it an archetype, but I, I, I think that we have examples of a lot of people inside these walls that have used real estate as a way to generate revenue and then have started to bury those nuts along the way. And I, I think it's, I'm imagining that these properties have done pretty well in the last four to five years with the appreciation that we've seen. So I love seeing that. I, I want more and more of our agents to do it. So good for you. Um, is there any more on that before I move on? No more advice. I want advice though. Um, I'm an agent. I'm selling. Um, I like to manage them because I like to know who lives there because I'm downtown and they're living in, like, I don't have anything I wouldn't live in. So I fix them up nice. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy anything I wouldn't live in. Right. I've heard that a lot and I feel the same way. I fix them up nice. They're not granite countertops, but they're, you know, they're good. They're clean, um, solid paint, appliances are all new-ish, so I don't have any calls. I mean, it's a rare, you know, once in a while the sewer backed up or something, but um, I get, so I talk to the people, I get good places. So you're spending a little more on the product, but it means that you're dealing with a lot less maintenance and drama and higher quality tenants. I don't want drama, yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with the idea of managing them yourself, especially early on. I think there's a point at which I would strongly recommend against it. Like, I do not touch my rental properties there's no way i would want to deal with it it's too much work but uh no kudos to you and that's good advice so 
tell us a little bit about this whole martial arts thing. I'm, I'm interested in that. The only question that really matters is, could you take me? No problem. You're pretty confident about that, huh? No problem. I outweigh you by quite a bit. That's all right. <clears throat> and, and so you're a black belt in? Hapkido, Taekwondo. Those are two different disciplines. Yeah. Okay, so you have two black belts? Well, I have a fourth degree and a second degree. Okay. If you want to talk about it that way. <laughs> I uh, want to talk about it any way that I'm supposed to. I do not know much about Blue belt about this. in judo, and I uh, taught a lot of tai chi. So that's four disciplines. Yeah, well, I did a lot. Yeah, I did some other stuff too, but. Most of those are close contact grappling style. Well, they're all different. So hapkido is a more like aikido, and it's how to... Um, take a person's energy and redirect that mm -hmm. and take, um, like if somebody's throwing a knife, you know, to redirect that, um, take, and so you can put them on the ground and either control them by a joint lock or something or put them on the ground and just run away. Um, taekwondo, so it's all based on like the water principle, more circular motion, that sort of thing. Taekwondo is more of an aerobic exercise. I mean, it's um, more linear it's like block, punch, mm -hmm. you know, kick. But, I mean, I've never been in any, like, real fight or anything. But you wouldn't do some kind of, you know, wheel kick on, you know, a street fight. You're going to grab your leg and put you on the ground, and you're just toast. So, um, yeah, taekwondo is, you know, great for aerobic um, camaraderie. I mean, that's mostly what I got in for was, one, just traveling and protection, and then, two, just the circular motion, the confidence, the discipline, um, and just like Master Pac was just super. So I did judo too, which is, yeah, more grappling. And, you know, you're, um, you, you're in constant contact with somebody, and so you feel where their weight is. And so once their weight is a little off, you can just throw them to the ground. It's not mm -hmm. like a wrestling match, like... It's a little bit like wrestling. There's a there's a system to it too. You use your weight, the leverage, but. Um, so do you still practice? Yeah. I mean, are you still. A little, not so much. I mostly help with Master Pac left in 2013, um, and the new instructor is super. Um, but uh, with real estate, you know, most people want to see houses at night because the classes were all at night, um, and so it's just hard to really keep that um, going. I used to teach Tai Chi as well. Um, but just, I had knee surgery back in 2010 and my partner instructor, um, he kind of took over and really it's hard, don't need to. It's people. hard work aging, isn't it? <clears throat> I've yeah. wanted to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and we've talked about this quite yeah. a bit and I've not because I'm terrified about, I've got, I had three different shoulder dislocations and when my shoulders pop out, they get stuck out and it's horrible and it's like an all day thing and then I can't move for six months. So I'm just terrified of the notion of that happening again. Go while get stem cells. Get them fixed. Okay. Tony Robbins in the room. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'd, I'd like to learn more about it. No, I, I, I think it's really, really cool that you did that. Antigua I, is a place to go. Stem cells. Okay. I grew up in a world where I did have to fight. Um, I just never had any formal training. I just had to defend myself. Yeah. South Africa was a slightly rougher schoolyard than, than what American kids are accustomed to these days. So, uh, I'm not even sure where to go with that other than I would, 
I'd like to test the thesis that you could take me. I, I think given the fact that your knee's still injured, I'd probably just hit and run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably could. That's probably my best bet with you, huh? <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's super cool. And the the travel thing, I guess I'm curious. Are you are you calming down on that now? Are you still doing world travel? Are you? Oh, I've done. You know, I went to Costa Rica with Tony Robbins last year. This year, we're going to the Bahamas um, on the the platinum trip. But I, I mean, they're not places I would. I've already been yeah. both of them. Um, no, uh, I don't. I mean, if I never flew on a plane again, I've no problem. I mean, I've been to all 50 states. I've been to over 50 countries. Um, Is there one place? Is there one place you haven't been? Or if there, let's do both. One place you haven't been. things I'd like to do. I'd like to ride um, camels down through the Sahara Desert. Okay. Um, I would like to go to um, the Egyptian pyramids. You haven't seen those in Mm -hmm. all that travel. Wow. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's like certain little adventures I'd like to do. Machu Picchu, I haven't been. Oh, that's on my list too. Um, yes, on Jordan, I'd love to go to Jordan to uh, um, Picchu, Pechu. It's an incredible carving rock. I've I, I had a oh the rock the yeah pe- Pechu Picchu Petra Petra I think. Petra yeah. yeah. I, well, I have a um when I was in grad school, my office mate he was from Jordan and uh, super nice people and anyway, I'd like to go see their country just because I know him. I've heard you say that you traveled with us to Uganda. <clears throat> I forget what, what year was that? That's been like five years ago, at least. Yeah, I remember because you were just a lot to deal with on that trip. You'd we'd be driving down the middle of nowhere in a in a, in a bus, and you just tell the driver to pull the bus over so you could get out and go look at a like an ancient plow or something. But it was interesting stuff. Everybody else got off too, right? They did because they had no choice because you stopped the bus. <laughs> well, I know, but it only took five minutes and it was something interesting. If you're in a country, you need to see the little stuff. Yeah, well, one of the I mean, I do stuff, the same thing if I'm driving <clears throat> across Iowa. I believe you do, which is why we don't do road trips <laughs> together. <laughs> no, you were a ton of fun to have along. That was uh, that was quite a deal. I didn't tell you this, but recently we just found out. Did you go to Ogongaja? Did we have all three when you came? No, I'd okay. love to go there, yeah. Ogongaja was, a, uh, it's been amazing to add. It's our, we call it our lost born child, right? Um, we just recently had a bunch of attacks up there from the Karmajong. I don't know if you remember that Karmajong mm-hmm. tribe from the Northeast region. They're all armed now with a bunch of leftover assault rifles from the war. And they've been coming in and raiding that area recently and stealing everybody's cattle. So for a week or so, all of our kids and the community was sleeping at the care point. Wow. To, uh, well, basically to hide from these guys that were coming in and raiding. Uh, but yeah, you should head back there sometime. It's been crazy to see how those care points have changed. Yeah, no, I'd like to. I, I think just, you should just, yeah. uh, I'm going to have you sit at the back of the bus and we're going <laughs> to. Just let me drive the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you'd like to do that. Here we are. Off, off to the right, you can see. Oh. Okay, well, I should probably start closing this out. Seriously, though, I say this a lot, but with you, I really think that we, we could do story time forever. I'm going to count the number of times you said anyways in this, by the way, because I think I say that a lot. Well, you do, because I think that there's so many tangents in your world and I think there's so many tangents in your mind. But what I love about that is you've uh, yeah, you dance to your own tune, right? You you're not trying to be anyone for anything for anyone. And I think there's something admirable about that. So 
it's been fun to be a part of your this chapter at least of your crazy crazy life oh, i think everybody should just be them i mean because nobody else can be <laughs> right <laughs> or and, wants to be and um yeah but i mean each person is beautiful in in and of themselves and trying to be something else or be somebody else is yeah. just uh it's just an insecurity of, of just loving themselves. And <clears throat> well, you said this a lot, even when we were traveling in Uganda. You've said it today as well. I think when you see people all around the world, you realize that you know we're all different colors, shapes, sizes, and religions and backgrounds. But at the end of the day, people are really just people. Yeah. And you figure out human needs are pretty much the same, whatever language you're speaking. or There's only four. Four languages? No, four human needs. Significance, certainty, uncertainty, and love and connection. And then your spiritual needs, if you move past those, are your, um, we all have a need for growth so that we can contribute. So growth and contribution. Okay, do that Do that one more time. Certainty. Sig- Certainty. You said significance first. Significance. Okay, everyone. We all want a, f- a little feeling of we're important. You know, you okay. walk in, hey, how's Dylan? All right. That's right, I am Dylan. And um, certainty. You want to know you can go home and your roof is good. Your heater is going to turn on. Yeah. Certainty. But if you had the same thing all the time, you know, if, if your wife brought you coffee the same every morning and said it the same terrific. things... <laughs> yeah, but after about 10 times, <laughs> you'd be like, okay. So you, that's the uncertainty. We all want, want some new surprise. Yeah, we okay. want some difference. We want to be able to make choices. And then love and connection. We all need some connection. You know, some people stay more worth connection because they have a fear of love. But we all have that need. Like babies die if they don't have some connection yeah. and love. And then once we get beyond that, we have a need for growth. We always want to learn something, whether it's how to make the barbecue sauce better or to teach somebody something or a language or be a better realtor. What can I learn? I mean, look at the people who've been on, um, Gina Swanson was in there 20 years or however many years in, in as and me as well. We're trying to learn something in the class that we just took this morning because mm. you have a need for growth. What can I, so that I can contribute back to somebody else. Cause if I just hoard it all in my head, what good is it? So we all need to contribute to others where I think that's why we have such a strong office is that we're all not forced, but encouraged. I mean, you can't hardly come to the meetings and be here without growing in some way. And then when we do that, we're contributing to, I mean, you're contributing to us in coffees and whatever, but we're then contributing to our clients to provide the chocolate on the pillow. Mm-hmm. The better buyer experiences, the better seller experiences. And that fulfills our needs. Because if we get a little, you know, a, a refer- or not a referral, but a little thank you note that says, that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't help but make us feel good. So when we, um, you know, go the extra mile and, and they say, hey, I, I took a picture of your gift and put it on Facebook or whatever, we're like, that hits a little bit of our significance, you know, and yeah. our growth that, yeah, I did a good thing today. So then we feel good. There it is. There it is. Words, words of wisdom from Gina. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I, I wrote those all down because uh, 
Um, I, I presume you borrowed that from Mr. Robbins. I did, <coughs> but, but he borrowed it from everybody else. Hundred percent. That's so what that's I've learned. One thing about him. I mean, he grew up. He had a pretty rough. Four dads, alcoholic, addicted, drug addicted mom. The whole situation. I think most people with great perspective and wisdom had a rough childhood or yeah. a rough life, right? Because that's yeah. I think it's where you gain insight. It's from struggle. Yes, and at some of these classes, man, some of the stories I've heard from people. You know, their parents putting their head in the toilets yeah. to, oh my gosh. Anyway, and then, yeah, so then sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't had, <laughs> I didn't have any struggles too bad. Um, what you did, though, yeah. is you went and saw struggle. Yes. So whether it's yours or seeing the reality of the struggle of life, I think those offer insight and perspective. And that's one thing with Tony, he gathers information of the science. I mean, he's got people who find all the science mm-hmm. stuff out, and he combines it, simplifies it, and then shares it because that's what he, it's, that's his function. That's what all he lives for. He could not do anything else. He could just sit home and never work again. But he, his whole drive is sharing and raising people's lives to be better so that we can then go give to others. Well, and speaking of coffee earlier, I mean, once you start, once you reach levels of growth and contribution, I think you, you can't imagine a life without them. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy, right? You get to a certain place where it's really just not about basic needs anymore. It's that you become addicted to to constant growth and constant, um, well, impacting and improving the lives of others. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, We just sell houses as a way to get there. Well, not everyone gets there, right? Well, not everybody gets there or they don't think about it. Mm. They, you know, there's the significance, but they're contributing to a, a cause because they want to have their name on the brick. Yep. And sometimes, hey, we need those people too. It's just a different way of getting there. Well. But we all want to give. I mean, otherwise we have no function. I mean, I, th- I think sometimes people don't know how to give, but we all want to. I think people want to do good. They want to but sometimes they get Part of the problem is it's not been modeled very well for most of us, and we live in a pretty consumerist, shallow society, and that's where, I was thinking of his title, I'm Not Your Guru. I'm not sure why it was called that, but I think what we lack in this culture is a guru and people to model uh, meaningful life, impactful life, because I think we're all actually hungry for it. Mm -hmm. We just don't all have great examples of it in our worlds. But part of the reason he called it that is that you he he wanted people to think he's not your guru. Mm. You don't need him. Mm. He's helping point out things in your mind that you are you. You have the ability for love and growth and connection. And you need to change your, like a lot of times we'll have a belief of the only way I, f- I feel love is if somebody brings me flowers. Well, change the rule. I can make the rule anytime I feel love is when somebody smiles at me. Anybody. I can feel love versus, you know, just change the rules. Mm. Change the story. That's in uh, Awaken the Giant, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So we can change the rules or the definitions we give things. And then we have a whole different experience. Yeah. Yeah, and I think people don't realize you have more control over that experience than what you think. You have complete control over your experience. You don't have to react. Okay, well, uh, 
let's do this again. And, and we can dig into some of that. I was going to say you could do a mic drop at the end of some of that, but these mics are attached to the table, so that's not going to work very well. Um, let me close with this. What's, what's next for you? Uh, what, what are you focusing on right now? Uh, I know you've got some maybe team changes going on. Um, um, any big trips coming up? What's, uh, what's next on your list? I have a geothermal greenhouse coming. Love it. Um, so I'm going to grow bananas and everything. It's year-round okay. from an old guy. In, this uh, is here, not, not in Colorado. You're going to do here. that at yeah, your place. Thought, yeah, probably here. Okay. Um, yeah, working on growing the team. I'm uh, working on taking my folks to uh, Ireland. Awesome. Um, yeah, they're getting up there, so it's kind of... Yeah. And uh, going to the Bahamas with Tony. Um, let's see. We have a spirituality trip coming up. Um, I think it's going to be in Cambodia. Um, so um, that's like a whole nother level of, of things. Um, otherwise, uh, riding horses, training dogs. We didn't touch on the horses thing, but... We'll, we'll get that next. Yeah, horses are good. Search and rescue team. I'm on the local search and rescue team, which is really interesting. We do for the city of Ames for Iowa. Yeah, or the Midwest. Yeah. So we've, someone we've goes gone. missing and they need people on horses or to go scour a forest. Or foot. Yeah. You're you're who they call. Yeah. <laughs> one of the groups we call. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're pr one of the primary ones in Iowa. Yeah. Um, when they have they need trained people versus just 500 volunteers. Um, so we either go on foot or if they can use horses, we'll bring horses. Like we searched down in uh, Montezuma for the young boy that was missing last summer. Um, yeah, a lot of too many. Yeah, we can go down that. Too many suicides. You, uh, stuff. you either got to go find yourself a little mini documentary to star in or you got to write a book. I'm not sure which you want, but one of those is going to have to happen, right? Well, not necessarily, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, this was fun. Uh, I, you know, what's what, what's also fun is that you you got such a there's such a lot to your past, but I think there's a whole bunch more still coming, right? That's what's cool about yeah, this. just figuring figuring that out, kind of where all to go and what's next. What's next? I've um, been doing some different venture capital type investments with people. I met with Tony doing the crypto. We're doing a, uh -oh. a solar. Um, we're doing crypto mining in containers that people were thrown away at a, at a, um, a solar plant in Costa Rica and being part of that whole, it's just like crazy. All I can say to that is, of course you are. <laughs> Gina, this was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us today. For more episodes, resources, and show notes, head to morethanmorepodcast.com. Thank you.